Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the broadcast. I'm your host, David Brooks. And I've been going out alone for the last uh, few weeks since I lost my partner in crime, Rachel Meadows. But while she is irreplaceable, I, I am trying and I'm joined by my new permanent co-host, our head of market engagement, Simon Q. Welcome, Simon. Thank you, Dave. Uh, it's interesting you say that you're trying. It's often something that's been said about me. But, <laughs> uh, it's lovely to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, and we've got big plans for the future of the the podcast or the broadcast. God, I've got my words all mixed up then, but we've got big plans. So watch this space for um, lots of new content and lots of uh, exciting new guests. And of course, we are joined today by um, Sarah Brennan, who's a professional trustee at Dariada Trustees. Hello, both. Um, very kind of you to say that I'm an exciting guest. I'd probably beg to differ, but uh, thanks no. for inviting me along to, to have a chat with me today. Yes, brilliant. No, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to talk about um, EDI, or people might know it better as DEI. I think the order of the letters doesn't seem to be that important or that fixed. But basically, we're talking about equality, diversity and um, inclusion. And we're going to be looking about how pension schemes and trustees and possibly employers, um, how they're meant to get to grips with this. Um, so to help us discuss this today, um, Sarah, do you want to just set the scene for us about EDI as a concept um, and sort of a broad definition, perhaps, and also what EDI means to you? Yeah, sure. I'd probably start off by saying, as you alluded to first, Dave, EDI, DNI, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion. I think it's interchanging. People refer to it as different things. So, uh, but the concept is, um, well, it can be open to interpretation but I think for for me EDI is about creating safe environments for people um, and if they choose to to do so for them to be themselves um, and having environments free of judgment and and healthy challenge uh, I think it's really important that we recognize and embrace everybody's differences because we are all different us three round the virtual table today we're all different we've all got our own experiences we look different you know and that's great we should embrace that and learn from each other i think having having a platform for people's voices to be heard but most importantly for people to actively listen to those voices it's one thing to hear but another thing to actively listen and I think that's one thing in our industry um, and probably going off track a little bit here but I've read a great book by the Samaritans about listening um, and that's their model that they use in in their their helplines and it gives a quote there about listening there's one thing to listen and actually waiting for a gap in a conversation to get your your word in and the true meaning of active listening. So that that's a great book. So having that environment where people are active listening, putting aside your egos, accepting that there might be and will be, you will be wrong is really important. And that that's perfectly okay to do that. I mean, for me, what isn't okay is for people not to feel valued and respected and that's the whole element of EDI is creating, or for me anyway, those environments for people to be listened to, to be themselves, 
and to generate all those ideas. Just just on that, Sarah, how important do you think it is for others to challenge people that don't support that environment? Because in, in, in my view, I, I think it's um, hugely important that if I see poor behaviour, then I need to um, challenge that. Um, and it, it could be for various different reasons, of course, but without me supporting being an ally, and and backing that up by actually doing something, I'm probably just as bad as the person that's um, uh, demonstrating that that poor behaviour. I think it's hugely important. I mean, to have the confidence to challenge, I think, is is really important to do so. But if you set aside not being there for somebody. You could leave them feeling really vulnerable. If you say if you see poor behaviour, if you see somebody not being included, now think about how they're feeling and what you can do to help support them, because mm. that can be a really uncomfortable position for someone. So I think it is crucial that not just calling yourself an ally, but putting that into practice and that means for me speaking up helping someone challenging and being in somebody's corner so so we're sort of talking about this you know it's quite high level sort of concepts of you know support and giving people confidence to challenge these kind of things so the concept that so the so the perspective we're talking about it now is very much how trustee boards run how they operate how they make sure that all the voices around the table are heard you know how you create time and space around how, how to do that so i'd be interested sarah in your experience of how i mean there's kind of two sides how you see that happening in practice and i'm sure it's been happening for years without the need of these definitions of these words you know good good chairship you know just people acting nicely to each other it seems it seems odd that we need this kind of guidance or and we'll go on to the regulator in a little bit later but you know we need it seems odd we need this but it I suppose there's lots of questions in here, but, you know, do we need it? And have you seen it work well? You know, what's your experience? I think it is really needed because if you if it's not at the forefront of your mind, then it's quite easy to to forget about it and and think that fast stroke current practice is working OK. And actually, what I think one of the problems is, is that people, boards, companies, don't know what the problems are. So there's a lot of talk about EDI, which I think is is great in one sense because people acknowledge that we need to be talking about it. But actually we need to take a step back and look at the problem that we're trying to fix. And for me, that means collecting data. You know, how do we know that how do we know that we're not diverse or inclusive without speaking to people and looking at the makeup of our board or of our companies? So starting point should be what what is what is your current makeup? Putting a plan in place to then look to fix the problems that you've identified. And one of the issues that I've seen before is once you have that data, you need to follow up on the actions that you've carried out because providing sensitive data, and that's what we're talking about here, we're asking people not just to give their age, the gender, the sex. You know, when we're talking about diversity, we're looking at all of the softer characteristics 
that we can't see and that needs conversations and when we're asking people to disclose personal information about them there needs to be that trust element that you're going to use that data appropriately and with a meaning and that they will see a positive outcome from that so it's not just about collecting data for the sake of it it is using that and building it into your strategy and making sure that you're engaging with those people that have provided that data to you because it can be sensitive and confidential data. So what sort of data I mean how far down do you go because there was a survey that the regulator put out uh, maybe a year ago now and they went very they were asking very personal yeah, they, they weren't asking the individuals to answer in this sense but they were saying do you collect this data and it went you know went down to you know sex gender sexual preference these kind of things yeah and uh, and yeah, there was some pushback when I talked about it with with my trustees that I work with you know that why is that relevant you know some of that is important you know disabilities and you know any of these kind of things that we, they can see the relevance of that but some of the stuff felt a bit irrelevant to operating as a as a trustee I don't know how how you feel about some of those what you know some of those protector protected characteristics that we're talking about it's an interesting one and I don't know if I've got the, the right answer or not and I don't know if there is a is a right no. answer and interestingly the, the regulator has recently carried out the survey that they've sent out to, to trustees. Um, I mean for me it's it's about looking at life experiences as well and knowing not just the technical skills that you bring to the table but about the neurodiversity side of things. I mean, it's really important to know if somebody around the table, for example, is colorblind or how they like to read, listen yeah. or learn because meeting packs that we send out, they are just that. They are pages and pages and pages. And if you don't know somebody's personal learning styles or the fact that they're sat there looking at a graph that somebody's presented and they can't work out the difference between each column, how can you be effective as a trustee board? It's interesting you raise that point, Sarah, because I am colourblind. I'm red-green colourblind. I'm not um, uh, not ashamed of that. Other than the fact that as a child, I wanted to be a pilot and being red-green colourblind kind of kiboshed that. But um, exactly that, there are certain shades of red or green or brown even that will kind of like merge in together uh, for me um, and uh, <laughs> I was shopping for a jacket and this is not pensions related but I was shopping for a jacket the other day my daughter was made with me and I went what colour is that I like it but what colour is it and I had yeah. to double check so your point about information being presented and this is not just um, from a trustee board um, but it's it, I'm now then thinking to advisors broad standard advisors um, yeah. I've, I've worked with government advisors in, in, in the past all advisors should be thinking about this as well and being someone who's colourblind, I haven't actually thought about it. I've just accepted it as this is the way it is. Well, you yeah, I agree. To do that, Simon, you know, you, and, and you should feel comfortable to be able to say, look, guys, can you present it in a different format to me? I mean, some people as well, I mean, on a personal level, you know, I like if somebody puts in front of me a report and a report that's words and words and words without any pictures you'll just lose my attention. You know, I'd, I'd prefer to have a high level summary, pictures, I don't know, a little bit of a video. And that's just me and 
every one of this. I mean, what do you like, David? Well, yeah, no, I'm the opposite. I like words. You know, someone puts a chart in front of me and says, isn't it sort of scoffs? Well, that's obviously telling this story. Not to me, it's not. I, I am really terrible at just looking at a chart and seeing what the story is. I want words, conversation. I'm much better at conversations. You know, I'd rather sit down and talk with someone and then them tell me and I'll, and I'll, I'll remember what they've said far better. And then, then my next preference will be a nice, I like a nice executive summary, so I'm all right with that. And then the next, okay, if you have to tell, get some charts and graphs in, then fine. And I think that, yeah, Simon's point, that's really interesting, you know, that the advisor should be, and we probably should have been doing this for years anyway, is saying, look, here's this report. It's our standard report. Do you like it like this? Yeah. If you don't like it like this, we can do it a different way. You know, I can do a one-page summary or I can give you a 57-page report and everything in between. You know, it's up to you. And you do get some trustees that love the 57-page report and getting into the detail. And you equally get trustees that go, well, it's all very interesting, but I'm not going to read it. I know, and I don't want it, you know. So if, even that, that's just, yeah, this, these preferences are what we're trying to get to in a more structured way, you know, relying on people's confidence, a chair to stand up and say, Thank you, Broadstone, for this report. Please don't do it like that again. Do it like this next time kind of thing, which doesn't always happen as well, because sometimes trustees are equally uncomfortable challenging their advisors as, as trustees challenging decisions and themselves. So, yeah, I think this is I think I think we were, talk, you know, we, we want to talk about some of the positives to get out of practical you know, positives to get out of these, these sorts of ED&I discussions. I think, if anything, that should be definitely one is being able to challenge and not thinking there's only one way because that's the way it's always been done. And if my brain doesn't work that way, well, I'm wrong. You know, that's almost yeah. the last place you want to be. I think we all need to be comfortable to challenge and to know that it's all right to ask for help, support, guidance for something in a different format because that's how we all learn. And I think equally it applies to our members as well. So we've talked a little bit about our advisors, but actually how are we presenting information to our members and probably members that don't have or aren't as accessible for us to speak to. I mean, we can pick up the phone to an advisor and say, come on guys, can you can you send me this in less than 2000 words? Um, but, you know, when you're looking at a collective group of members that are spread around the country, that is more harder to be able to individualise. That's probably not a word, is it? But personalise communication to members. Yeah. See, I'm not very good with words myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. Personalise is definitely the right word. Um, no, no, exactly. And this is a challenge that we, we know as administrators that's the coal face you know that's you know trustees send out newsletters and things like that but most of the communication is done by administration and we've been thinking long and hard about how we make sure that our communications are written in a manner that will be received in the right way again you get lots of standardization in administration you know this has been the way it's been done for years and i don't i do think you know Maybe my colleagues may not thank me for this, but I do think there there there, there should be some challenge, you know, especially from the trustee board, especially from MNTs, you know, yeah. they're the people that that are more likely to think and act in the way that their members will, being one of them, and at least understand. Okay, you might have people with certain language barriers if you come from a certain certain sector or or certain financial literacy or even literacy challenges, you know, and us just sending out a generic letter, which won't may not be understood. That's 
you know that's not really the way it should be you know people should be able to say look guys you need to you need to simplify some of this language you need to clarify some of these options and especially as things are getting more complex schemes keep you know talking about introducing pensioners exchange or we're dealing with gene privatization and writing to people in their 80s and telling them things you know all these things bring individual challenges you know dealing with vulnerable customers people that are struggling you know with a cost of living crisis means that people are contacting us uh, looking for early retirement or even ill health and they're in dire straits and the way we deal with them is so crucial because yeah, they may only have one dealing with the pension scheme their whole life that is with the moment they retire and or they access their benefits or transfer in some way and how we deal with that is just so important it's just so important absolutely yeah i mean i'm probably a little bit biased but my background was administration so i did 10 years working as an administrator and for me that hands-on experience talking to members i found invaluable experience in the work that i'm doing now because and, and i'm not perfect at all i don't think anybody is but it helps me to really try and put my shoe myself in the shoes of of members um and it's interestingly interesting you mentioned about the, the the member engagement there and the different methods of communication one thing that i i found that has worked really well and that i'm doing on one of my schemes at the moment is i go and meet some of the members so they get the option and to to come on site or to a i don't know a community hall or conference room or something some so some road shows so you get to meet the members and made a conscious effort last year to ask members for feedback i asked them about the types of communication that they receive the language do they understand it what do they do with it how do they want us to communicate with them and admittedly yes not all of the members came because that would be um probably an impossible task but getting to know the members listening to the language that they use because they're then more likely to understand our communication if we then try and use the same language that they're using and i think we'd all agree be between us that the pensioned industry is notorious for the amount of jargon that we use i mean i'm a yorkshire lass i call a spade a spade and for me you know that's 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 how i am and i think some members like that as well mm. so i mean you're going to come in yeah, I was just on your point, Dave, about the, the the member that it may be their only interaction with a pension scheme. Just imagine if that's a, how they might be terrified. They might be it's something they don't understand. They're building up this courage to reach out to this big, scary pension, and it's it's like the, the attached to the corporate, and they maybe don't even get the, um, the distinction that this is actually run by trustees. It's not the company. Um, if an interaction is dismissive or um, I don't know, the, the, um, backs up their fears that actually I'm being daft for asking this, they'll never interact again. Mm. That, that's it. You've lost them. They've gone. Yeah. So you're right. That point of engagement is so is so important. Yeah. If they, if they get a boilerplate uh, communications, or if, and it, I mean, even worse if you make mistakes. But if they, if they get a boilerplate, you know, letter that just doesn't talk to them. You know, dear 
not even so I can't say they won't say Sarah Madden obviously but you know dear whatever generic title here's your benefit statement or here's your thing that lack of personalization yeah. it just makes it even more of a barrier and I, I think you're right I think as well we also need to challenge our own biases and uh, stereotypes in terms of different generations of, of people so example here is I, I was I was told by um, an MND that none of the members go online they don't know how to go online they don't have emails you know when I mentioned to them about the possibility of having a website or sending things via email no no nobody does any of that but again at the roadshows I did last year I asked the members and they loved the idea of having a website so I think you know it's important not to form a view based on perhaps your own biases because then in those decisions that you're making you could discount other ideas that might actually be of benefit to all of the members. Mm. Actually, we're seeing member websites becoming far more popular. Actually, I think some of the concern is we're going too far and people who don't like using computers or, you know, people the other side, you know, perhaps older, well, people don't look at or don't have access to a, to a, you know, mobile phone or whatever. We feel like we're excluding those. So we're actually, it's weird. The focus has shifted. For years, we've been talking about trying to increase e-communications because it's cheaper and more efficient. But now we're feeling like there's a little cohort of people we might be leaving behind. So it's actually just making sure we're not excluding those guys who, who for whatever reason, aren't able or not, or don't, don't want to engage with that kind of thing. Um, we've kind of skipped over the regulator a little bit. But we know the regulators issued some some guidance um, for governing bodies. That's their posh name for trustees and em employers. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you've obviously read that, but I don't know what your take your key takeaways from that guidance guidance are for our listeners. Yes, I, I have read it. Admittedly, I um, was on one of their working groups and probably helped to. Well, I did help to to draft <laughs> it. So um, I'm uh, a little conflicted in, in that respect, but the, the regulator is very clear that EDI is important um, for improving member outcomes because that is what we're all here for is to, to do that and look after the best interests of our members and, and beneficiary, beneficiaries. And the regulator is very clear that it should be on all of our agendas. I mean, they've, they've done quite a lot of work to date in their journey to support and advocate for ED&I to be embedded in pension schemes and the guidance that you've just referred to there, David, does have some, some practical guidance for governing bodies, trustees and, and employers. Um, so it also sets out and gives some templates for people to use, for example, when they're looking to do recruitment processes for member nominated directors, because I think that's one of the challenges with employers perhaps reluctant or don't have the time, resources to really engage with their own employees to sell the benefits of being a trustee. So there's some good material on there that trustee boards, employers can use to help that journey for recruitment. I still think there's a long way to go and they've set out a strategy to, to do that, but the work that they've done so far is um, you know, really key to, to helping us all to put that into practice. So I didn't interrupt, interrupt you, but it's just that MNT stuff is actually really interesting. I think that's actually some of the more interesting stuff 
the regulators put out on EDI and MNT for a long, long, long time. You know, we've got the MNT code of practice and all that kind of stuff, and it's all very straightforward and you know very easy. But they've got some really good ideas in there about how you can really challenge what you've done in the past. I suspect that lots of MNT processes haven't changed in years. They may have been reviewed. I'm doing air quotes. Don't hate me, but I, I did it. Um, they may have been reviewed, but broadly the same than they've been for years and years and years. Um, but there's so much you can do to really revamp your MNT communications to make them more inclusive, make them talk, so, you know, clarify the role, demystify, make it less scary, all these sorts of yeah. Um, and also the, the the process as well. Sorry, sir, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm stealing your thunder here. But yeah, what, what, what's your takeaways on that? The regulator's um, guidance on this and one of the suggestions that they've made is about having fixed terms mm. for member-nominated trustee appointments, which I thought was really, really interesting. I haven't actually seen it being put into practice. And I, and I do like your comments, Dave, about reviewing what you're MNT requirements are and I, I do actually think having read the regulators guidance that fixed term contracts might actually be a selling point so for example when we're recruiting MNTs knowing that they're not going to be on it for life it's not a life sentence <laughs> that they've got a minimum term I think could be of benefit to them you know if they've got a a shorter term then they're not signing up for life i think it is a mm. benefit and i think as well it also may then encourage other people to come forward if they know that it's not a huge time commitment and actually they've got a set period of time in which they can really contribute and make a difference and then having another round of MNTs come on board, new ideas, fresh ideas, because of course the employee structure might have changed. There might have been movements within the company and they can bring all those fresh ideas in as well. Yeah, no, I think there isn't that sort of natural break is really useful to have. You get, you know, no, there shouldn't be any impediments or MNT standing again, but I think having those natural breaks are really useful. And I think some of the other bits in there I, I liked, might people might feel a little bit are controversial, but for years they've most MNT processes have involved ballots. Um, so yes. you go out, so you get nominations from the membership and then you ballot them. You actually know, so have an election, and that might actually put people off because you don't want to be involved in some kind of popularity contest. And yeah, or you or you might get people that are popular, but is popularity the best criteria for picking a trustee? Possibly not. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. And I think I think it's a bit. It's, I've talked about it for a long time. I do think there is good arguments for having selection panels if your rules and allow it to to do that so you can target people that might have particular skills that you need on the board you know you might have someone who's really good at someone from a marketing or hr background that might be stronger at the the communication with members side of things than um than perhaps you know somebody else you might end up having a glut of people with great investments and the comm side is a bit weaker and i think targeting is is, is really important and that, that comes back exactly, Dave, to Sarah's point earlier about the, the makeup of the board and, and getting the data and then doing something with it. Um, it. It's very easy to have like a, I don't know, skills matrix. Um, oh, I'm good at Excel and, and I can do this and you can do that. Um, it's it's a lot more tricky around diversity and making sure people are included. But exactly that, um, it, it's 
it's the diversity of thought, I think, is also important. And that's that's much less simple uh, a concept to get get hold of. But you can have two. I mean, the industry has always been been criticised for being male, pale and stale. So you can have two male, pale and stale people, men. Um, one is uh, really left wing in their political views. One is massively right wing in their political views. Um, I mean, they, they'll fight like moles under a bucket. They're, they're not going to have the same approach. They're not going to to go about things the same way. So yes, targeting the where you need the the skill, where you need that that diversity of thought, I think is really important. And that could be built into the recruitment process in terms of the questions that you ask the applicants. I mean, you could even go as far as asking them to provide you with ideas on what changes they would like to see. You know, it doesn't always have to be 10 criteria, do you meet them all, speak to them, ask them about what they would like to see, what ideas they can bring to the table. Um, and even, and again, this might be a controversial point, but there's a lot at the moment about blind applications, so not knowing who is applying. And I think that goes back to your point, Dave, that you made about it being a popularity contest. Mm. Um, you know, I think there could be some merit in, in, in doing that. And I, I, on that, Sarah, I mean, talking to them, absolutely, but they've got to apply for you then to put themselves forward for you then to be able to talk to them. So anything that can encourage MNTs to come forward or people to come forward as an MNT, uh, being more correct, has to be welcomed. Uh, we, we know the industry has struggled for MNTs for, for quite a long, a long time. So exactly anything that helps them come forward and go, you know what, actually, I've got a shot at this rather than, oh, I'm not going to go for that because Bob will get it because everyone knows Bob. So they don't even bother applying. So, yeah, you've got to talk to them. But to talk to them, they've, they've got to actually put their names in the hat first. Sure. Also, I think God, I was going to say, but also you'll just find this from my experience of using member forums, that does break a barrier between the trustees who may be people they know and people they don't. You know, if you put the trustees on a top table and talk to the membership, that barrier is is broken. There's a dialogue. There's a direct dialogue. And this board of trustees, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's something that's out of reach. It's quite accessible, you know, putting faces to names, these kind of things are small things, but it does does mean that it, it's more accessible when you will see the MNT kind of interest increase as people think, well, I could, so-and-so's doing it, I could do it, or I can see them doing it, and I understand some of this, I reckon I could do that sort of mentality might help. Sorry, sir, I, I spoke across you there. No, that, that's all right. It's um, related to what I was just going to chip in with is that, People feel more comfortable speaking to people that they have seen. So the feedback that I got from even just working on site or seeing people, you know, people have a preconceived idea about what a trustee is. And the comments I got when I meet my members go, oh, you're real. You're not somebody sat in a dusty <laughs> filing room. You know, it sort of breaks down the barrier to show that we're human and yeah. we're here to do the right thing and to look after them and we're here to talk to them as well. I mean, we talked before about administrators having that duty to provide 
the right communications in the right styles and the right language. But as trustees, we should be showing our faces as well to our members. I think that would greatly improve the chances of the engagement of the workforce to, to help encourage them to come forward at recruitment time. Okay, we're getting close to time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a tough one at you. Okay. So if we're talking about you know EDI, the E stands for equality, but there's also an issue around how far equity comes into that. So equality, equity. What what's your view? Where do you stand on on that sort of debate? That, that is a is a tough one. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I guess my view is to be able to justify the equality and the, the equal approach, everyone has to be at the same level to begin with. So if everybody's different and you're treating everybody the same, and how can you ever then help them to progress in their personal and professional development? For me, you have to look at individuals to then be able to assess their needs I don't I don't necessarily see how the equal can apply I don't know if that's a controversial point or not but in, in my view I think there needs to be a recognition of difference and an example that I've got here is at a really simple level that everybody can apply is like the language that we use even like the tone of voice that we use I mean, I will speak to my mum different to how I'm speaking to you. And that's not equal, is it? That is tailoring how I speak to different people. So I don't know if that answers the question or not, but that's that's my view anyway. That's a really good point you, you make there, Sarah, in that to have um, the, the equality approach, everyone's got to start from the same point. And your point there about how you speak to your mother as opposed to others is exactly that, right? You you tailor how, in, in normal life, you tailor how you behave around people and how you speak and how you act, how you react based on the person, because you know the person. And if as a trustee board, you don't know your members, then it's really difficult to do that. Um, I, I always think of the um, and the podcast is always um, a tricky place for a visual, but I'll try and do it justice, of the, the three kids of varying heights who are trying to peer over a fence to look at a cricket match. Uh, and you've got equality is they're all given the same size box. So one of them's got a lovely clear view, one sort of scraping his nose on the fence and the other one can see the fence. And then you've got uh, equity, whereas they've got boxes of different sizes so they can all see the cricket. Um, and I, I just like, I mean, going back to what we were saying earlier, I quite like a visual, I like a picture, it sticks in my yeah. mind. And that really hammers home for me. If you've got the kids of different sizes, people in different places, giving them all the same box isn't going to get the same result for all of them. Agree. I completely know which which visual mm -hmm. you're on about. Yeah, I and I think it's something that we can all take away and with, with all aspects of life. So, I mean, from a, you know, from a, pensions point of view, looking at people's different backgrounds for have they been to university or not, you know, that brings with it a whole different concept of what they might need to to be able to then thrive in the pensions industry compared to somebody that, that doesn't. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think I think there's adjustments that we can make in a proportionate manner to make everybody's life a little bit easier. Yeah, I just wonder whether I just wonder whether equality is the right word at the start of EDI. I don't know whether something like fairness or something. I don't know whether you need to be more goal orientated to what we're aiming for, because if we're looking at trying to make things fair for people, then equality and equity are kind of part of that process to get there. I don't know. I don't want to rebrand. I'll let yeah, you stick... with that new word, Dave, and uh, you can you can you can sell it to everybody. No, 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 no. It's all right. We'll stick with EDI. But but I do think <laughs> EDI probably has a little a little F floating around it, just to kind of yeah to remind ourselves what we're trying to do. We're trying that's that's the goal, isn't it? And not to ignore the other bits. You know, the whole thing is 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 one thing together to create better outcomes and better decision making and. Yeah, this is all this is all meant to be positive as well. I think that's the thing that's running through everything we're talking about today is all about trying to make the trustee board or whatever we're doing a better place for everybody involved with it. And from that can only breed better outcomes and better things. Um, just a final thing to touch on, um, Sarah, you know, so this EDI discussion is obviously leading us into places where we're thinking about things that maybe we haven't thought of before and perhaps should but there's also been a lot of discussions around um, mental health, around how that's you know affecting people and the way they work and interact. Um, and I know you've got views on that, but are you? Do you think that's just going to help break down some barriers and make things easier to talk about those things too? Yes, mental health's a, a huge passion of mine, and I absolutely think it would make it a better place. I mean, we mentioned before about creating the safe environment with with no judgment and the active listening and I think that will massively help because in my experience conversations about mental health and people asking for help and support and speaking up will only happen in safe environments when they're comfortable to do so so I absolutely think it's it's a positive from that aspect yeah yeah me too. Simon, do you know anything to add on? I well, know you've done work on this before. Yeah, Sarah and I have spoken in the past about this, and I've, I've been a mental health champion for a good number of years. Um, so, yeah, again, something I'm, I'm hugely passionate about, improving the support for people that are struggling in whatever way. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's an extension of what we've been talking about at the start. It's, it, as, as Sarah rightly said, it's that environment where people can go, you know, actually, this this isn't right. I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm not doing well. This this isn't working for me. Um, and not to then be criticised or made fun of or, um, or have their career held back as a result of it. Right. It happens to, to the best of us. Um, and probably the worst of us as well, but it can happen to anyone at any time. And if you have an environment where people, and I'm not just talking about employees, it could be trustees, it could be members, are supported through that, um, then again, it's got to be better for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Not to end on a sad note or anything, but the consequences of, of that can be devastating so we're not just talking here about improving member outcomes we're talking here about just looking after ourselves and the people around us that we work with because that that all matters yeah yeah and i think yeah the, the point simon was making before about having allies you know people to support you know that that works across the board and all these kind of areas as well yeah absolutely i don't think it's a downer i think that's not a downer to end on I think that's a positive you know we can help each other to be better you know i've had problems i've 
been public on social media about you know when I went through some bad times but you know sometimes you know with support the bad times you can get through them and that's and, fantastic uh, because it's it helps other people to to see that that's okay to do that and the support that you'll have provided to to other people and to know that they're not the only ones it's uh, you know fantastic to for you to do that yeah i hope so i don't know i hope it does help okay this has been brilliant so i think we've run out of time though sarah so unless there's any burning points anybody's desperate to say shaking of heads we're all we're all talked out so that's brilliant so thank you sarah for joining us today we couldn't have chosen anyone better to talk to us about um the edi and the related issues so thank you for joining us thank you very much i've loved speaking to you today hopefully um i've not babbled on too much but um yes thank you no it's been brilliant and thank you simon welcome again to to the, the well, broadcast so thank you my, future of the broadcast my first co-hosting um I, i'm sure i'm sure the public will feed back as to how it went but it's lovely to be here and uh, really good to talk to you both today thank you all right well thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you all on the next episode of the broadcast goodbye